Welcome back for episode 5. This episode is a little shorter than typical, but I'm very excited about sharing it with you, and I think you'll see why in just a few minutes. I also wanted to give you a heads up that I'll be taking next week off as far as publishing a new episode goes. So, episode 6 will be released two weeks from now on June 8th. I plan to do this every five episodes to ensure that I have some time to plan future episodes, as well as to make sure I'm staying on top of my actual work. That being said, it's story time, so let's get to it. My name is Noah Dieselkamp, and I'd like to tell you a story. I'd like to tell you a story. If you've got the time. This story is not about Michael Jones, but I'd like to tell you about him anyway. Michael is no stranger to success. In 2004, he founded Implantable Provider Group, also called IPG, a wholesale medical implant company. By 2008, IPG had made Inc. 500, and by 2010, was growing at a rate of about 1,300% a year. In 2011, IPG was Forbes' number five pick for America's most promising companies and was expected to be worth $40 million. Surprisingly, it was in this context that Michael decided to change his standard of success. In his own words, quote, the things like that I thought would have been mountaintop experiences. That euphoria would last only about a week. I wanted the next phase to be about adding value. End quote. So, he walked away from IPG and decided to take some time to consider what he wanted to do next. This story is not about Kenneth Lander, but... I'd like to tell you about him anyway. Kenneth is no stranger to surprises. Though he was a successful lawyer with some real estate holdings on the side, he decided he wanted to try something different. So, in 2005, he picked his family up and moved to Costa Rica and bought a coffee farm. He continued to make money off his real estate holdings in the States and farmed coffee as a hobby. This pleasant arrangement may have gone on forever, if it weren't for the U.S. financial crisis of 2008. In the wake of the financial damage, Kenneth found that coffee could no longer be a hobby. Instead, it would have to be the source of his income, and he began to realize what a challenge that would be. He began partnering with other local farmers and processing his own coffee to sell directly to customers in the U.S., but the vast majority of coffee farmers didn't have the capacity or equipment to process their own coffee. This story is not about Vinicio Gonzalez, but I'd like to tell you about him anyway. Vinicio is a coffee farmer who lives southeast of Guatemala City, Guatemala, in a community called Concepcion Panula. Coffee farming is one of the main industries of that area, and Vinicio is just one of many farmers there. He, along with his mother Marta and his cousin Rogelio Soleras, 
helped start and lead the Association of Coffee Producers of Concepcion Panula, an association which now involves 17 farmers. Their goal was simple. They wanted to collaborate to improve their markets and financial prospects to benefit the entire community. So, they began looking for better, long-term relationships with coffee buyers. This story is not about coffee, but I'd like to tell you about it anyway. Coffee is a heavily traded commodity across the globe, in some countries claiming the spot of number one or two export. And while we here in the U.S. generally pay the same amount for a cup of good coffee each time we purchase one, there are a lot of variables and fluctuation involved with the industry as a whole, much like you would encounter with other agricultural products. A couple of things you should know about coffee. First, the fruit of a coffee plant is called a coffee cherry. Underneath the skin and outer pulpy layer is the coffee bean. Second, once the bean has been extracted, washed, and dried, it can be held in dry storage for a very extended period of time before needing to be roasted. However, the fresh cherries are very vulnerable to fermentation before that cleaning process. Because of this, coffee cherries must be sold within 24 hours of picking, or else they will begin to spoil. These traits, combined with inclement weather conditions and a variety of other agricultural factors, can cause significant economic volatility in the coffee trade. Retailers and large roasting and distribution companies are generally able to find a way to absorb these fluctuations to maintain a steady end-user price point. But often, the methods of doing this result in pushing the bottom line further down the line, where it gets lower and lower until it hits the coffee farmer. The result is that many coffee farmers are completely vulnerable with no time or resources with which to negotiate and are therefore being gouged by the industry, sometimes even having to sell their cherries for less than it cost to produce them. As you may have figured out by now, these stories are not unrelated. Indeed, some of the things that connected them happened so coincidentally, you would almost believe that it was written as one might write a story, with some author organizing the whole course of events. You see, Michael Jones, that Inc. 500 entrepreneur, his father-in-law was a coffee farmer in Jamaica, and that's where Michael first saw the price discrepancy between what coffee farmers sell coffee cherries for and how much the roasted beans sold for in other countries. As he looked into this more, a friend put him in contact with Kenneth Lander, the former lawyer. Together, they decided to create a new coffee model, one where the farmers are able to keep ownership of the cherries as they are processed and exported so that they can sell directly to the end customer. They called the company Thrive Farmers Coffee. And slowly, but surely, the new model seemed to work. But it gets better. Remember Rogelio Soleris? Well, 
he just happened to be one of the earliest employees of Thrive. Naturally, he wanted to introduce Michael and Kenneth to his family and friends in Concepcion Panula. And remember Vinicio Gonzalez? Under his leadership, that small Guatemalan community listened to the Thrive Coffee model and decided to take the risk on this relatively young and untested model. And it continued to work. Thrive has continued to grow 8,500% in five years. And it's even reached number 19 on Inc. 500 for 2016. In the U.S. alone, the coffee industry is worth $225.2 billion. Thrive looks at that number and wants to introduce a better, more direct way for all that money to exchange hands. I've told you several times who or what this story isn't about. Now it's time I tell you who it is about. It's about me. And though I enjoy a good cup of coffee, that's not why this story is about me. This story is about me because Thrive, and more specifically, Vinicio and Rogelio, showed me more vividly than I had seen in years the power of a story. In November of 2019, I had the incredible privilege of visiting Guatemala. While there, the group I was with was able to visit multiple farms in the Antigua and Guatemala City area that were working with Thrive Farmers Coffee. I visited Concepcion Panula and was blessed to meet Marta, Vinicio, and Rogelio. I ate at Marta's table and visited with Vinicio in his own home. Rogelio guided our group around the coffee farms and translated for us when necessary. On one page of their website, Thrive says with their tongue-in-cheek, you aren't the only one who can't live without great coffee. When I talk about coffee farmers in other countries, struggling to sell their coffee cherries before they spoil, having to sell at a loss, facing inclement weather, pests, and disease, it's easy to feel a bit of pity for them and wish you could do something to help them. But when you are standing in a house, and the man who built it tells you, I could not have afforded to build this house and live the life I do if it weren't for my partnership with Thrive, that makes a lasting impact. That is a powerful story. One that reminds us that these aren't just some fictional people in distress. These are real, wonderful, vibrant people. People with interesting lives and stories to share. And a lot more obstacles and hurdles in life than me. I have to say, Thrive's manifesto really strikes a chord with me. Quote, We are in the business of impact. It is the most important thing we strive to make. From the start of a customer's morning to the end of a farmer's day, this is how we are measured. Our farmers aren't suppliers, they're people. And what they cultivate isn't a commodity, it's a livelihood. It's not just a supply chain, it's a chain of values that guides everything we do. Integrity leads to transparency, transparency to prosperity, and prosperity to quality. 
It's a purposefully crafted product and process where all of us, from farmer to customer, thrive. End quote. I have always enjoyed a good story, and I would probably still be making this podcast even if I'd never had the opportunity to go to Guatemala. But my trip impacted me and indelibly impressed upon me that everybody has a story, and there are so many stories left to be told, many of which have no one to tell them. It reminds me of what I said when introducing the first episode of this podcast. You have a story. I have a story. The people you pass on the street, young and old, all have stories waiting to be told. I hope you have enjoyed this story that shows a little more of me, and I hope that you will now go out and take the time to watch and listen for the stories in other people's lives. Many will be worth retelling, but I can say with complete certainty that all of them will be worth hearing. Thanks for listening today. The music for this podcast was written and produced by Benjamin Holloway. You can find a link to his website, as well as a transcript of this episode with sources included by visiting my website, bit.ly slash podcast. That's bit.ly slash podcast.